You're listening to the Butterfly Effect Podcast, episode number 24. Today I'm sitting down with Constable Matthias Steinborn of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, a respected police officer, as well as one of my clients. I have lots of clients who risk their lives to work in emergency services, and today we're going to dig into a bit more of what that looks like, how they balance it with their health, and how things have changed since she started as a Mountie. If you enjoy this episode, all I ask is that you screenshot it and share it on your social media story or feed to show your love. If you have a second to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or SoundCloud, the show can continue to grow and expand its listeners. Taking the time to share it with your followers and subscribers will totally help keep it thriving, so I can continue to bring you quality episodes like the one you listen to today. This is the Butterfly Effect Podcast, and I'm Ashlyn Newlove, tackling everything from fitness, nutrition, business, life, ice cream cones, and everything else in between to help inspire people to make one change that causes their ripple effect. The Butterfly Effect Podcast is brought to you by The Sweat Effect. If you like receiving discounts while supporting the podcast, visit thesweateffect.com slash podcast to see all of the podcast supporters and save money on everything from protein bars to skincare while you're at it. Welcome to episode number 24. So for those of you who don't know me, I'm a fitness and nutrition coach helping people have fun, keep fit, and reach their goals while they're at it with my online program, The Sweat Effect. Matea and I have been working together on and off for the past year. I work with a lot of people who work in emergency services as well as healthcare and feel so extremely blessed to be a small part of their lives as they're out there on the front lines. And although Matea and I have been a part of each other's lives for quite a while now, we've never actually got to meet in real life. Welcome to the show, Matea. Thank you. Okay, so they know that you're a police officer, but... Can you just give the listeners a little rundown of who you are, kind of how you got into your line of work um, and like where it's taken you? Yeah, for sure. Um, So I've been a member now for almost three years. It'll be three years in December. Um, I've always wanted to be a police officer ever since I was little. It's just something that I wanted to do and wanted to pursue. And so here I am. Um, I'm currently working in a rural town in Saskatchewan. Um, so it's quite small, but our area is huge and there's only ever one or two members on at a time. So it can be pretty busy. And uh, how old were you when you you know, first started getting the ball rolling with, uh, with your career? Um, well, I actually got into depo, which is the training for the RCMP, um, at 20 years old. So very young, <laughs> um, it doesn't happen a lot. Um, but it, it was nice to start young and get my career started at such a young age. So I'm lucky. That is incredible. Um, so I guess what a lot of people, I think, everybody wants, like, I think that everybody throughout their course of their life has been like, I want to be a police officer. I know I did. I went and ran the, uh, the Popat even once, which is like the city police, um, fitness test for people who don't know what it is. And, uh, I thought, you know, yes, this is definitely what I want to do. And I think everybody, and I, and I'm generalizing, like, obviously not everyone everywhere wants to be a police officer, but I think it's like a job as a kid that people really look up to. And Mm -hmm. is that what it was like for you? Like when you were a kid, you always wanted to be a police officer? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I would see, um, you know, light, the flashing lights drive by and I'd always tell my mom that we needed to follow them. <laughs> she was like, Matea, we're not following them. <laughs> Um, and like as a kid and stuff like that, you're faced with a lot of decisions, right? This decisions to do the right thing or do the wrong thing. Or like, um, I don't even know what it's like now that like, let's say that marijuana is legalized or whatever, but like as a kid faced with, um, the decision to like smoke pot and things like that. And those are all things that play a role in, in becoming like your career and getting into, you know, becoming a Mountie and those types of things. So like as a kid, like as a teenager, did you know that was what you wanted to do and you always just wanted to follow the path that led you there? Or was it something that you just didn't really think about and you just never made those decisions? And eventually, you know, when you were in your late teens and 20 years old decided and it worked out for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I always knew that I wanted to, and I knew how difficult the application was and you did need to disclose every single aspect of your entire life. So I'm lucky that I applied when I was 20. So it was only a short period of my life that I had to disclose. But I mean, as a teenager, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And I did have a good group of friends and, you know, steer clear from all the the more negative aspects. Of course, I was still a teenager, so I would still do teenage things, but I always had in the back of my mind that this is what I wanted. And so I tried to make the best decisions that I could um, so that I would have a chance of getting in. Totally. And I think that a lot of people don't think about that. They do some things and I'm not even saying like whether it was they smoked pot or um, they had too many drinks and then drove because those are all questions that you're asked in your application and things like that. Sometimes I don't think that they even realize that, you know, that's going to become present because you're like, well, I haven't done it in, you know, years. I made that decision when I was a kid. And then they don't realize that it really actually does affect your application to get in. Absolutely. And I mean, at the end of the day, people need to know that police officers are human too, and everyone makes mistakes, you know? So people that have made those mistakes in the past, as long as you're honest about it and you've moved forward, um, that's the biggest thing. So you're young and you've been um, a a member for the last three years, but what are your long-term goals? So like when I I know, like when you entered, when you were 20, you were like, you know, I'm going to be a police officer, but like, is that, are you going to remain in the same position? Is that your goal for your entire career to always be doing what you're doing now? I don't think so. I mean, right now I'm uh, general duty. So I work on the front line and I go from calls day to day. Um, Anything that comes in is what I'll respond to. Um, But I don't think that's what I want to stick with for my entire career. I mean, I have a long career ahead of me and there's so many specialized units. I think there's over 150 in the RCMP. So lots of opportunities. Um, I'm just trying to take as many opportunities as I can and just keep an open mind and wherever my career takes me is where I'll go. How many communities have you been in so far? Just the one. Oh, you've only been um, in the one. Only been in the one. Um, Most uh, communities, a member on average will stay between three and five years. Mm -hmm. Um, more of the Northern communities, you usually stay for two, um, just because it's more isolated and, and will you have to go to a Northern community? Because I had heard that everybody kind of has to take, um, like has to go North for a little bit. 
Right. Um, it's not mandatory. Um, if you want to leave the province and go police in another province, uh, right now it is mandatory that you have to do a Northern Post, um, but it's not. Like if you want the experience, you can go up north, uh, but it's up to you. So what does a typical day of work look like? Like everybody knows what a typical day of work look, looks like for me. I sit on my couch in front of my computer most of the time. <laughs> what do you do though? Oh, oh that's a good question. Um, every single day is different, honestly. Uh, there's a lot more paperwork than most people uh, realize. I think most people think it's, you know, policing is like the movies and it's not like that at all. <laughs> um any shift can range from eight, it's usually eight hours. Um, but I've worked as much as like a 18, 19 hour shift. So, um, you, you deal with everything like a variety, um, from, you know, any sort of person's crimes, assaults, uh, break and enters, just helping the public, even with nothing criminal, you know, just being out there in the community and having a presence and yeah. So, it, the, like the start of your day must always start the same, right? You go into work, correct? Do you go into work or do you, does work start from, from home? Well, where I'm working right now, um, because it's rural, um, we have on-call periods. So um, it's not 24-hour policing where I am. So a lot of the time um, we're on call and we can get called out from home. So usually if I don't get called out, I will go into the office and um, get a police vehicle, load up my vehicle for the day. Um, but sometimes I do get woken up and called out early. So I still go to the office, grab a vehicle and then respond to whatever call I got called out to. You, uh, you see a lot of hard things. Um, and I think that's probably one of the things that a lot of people don't think about, like when they think about being a cop or when they think like when they're dealing with you guys in real life, like when, um, somebody, you know, when you have to deal with a member of the public, how do you separate yourself from those types of things? Uh, personally, I'm not someone to take things um, to heart. And personally, I keep my job at work for the most part and come home and I'm really able to disconnect. I know um, there's some members that I've crossed, path with, crossed paths with um, that have a harder time. I do find that, and I'm not just saying it because it's this podcast, but working out um, is the biggest stress relief ever. And I think that more members should focus on that because it's, it's more of a mental uh, benefit than it is even physical. Yeah. And like, I work with so many people who, like I said, work in emergency services, uh, like firefighters and healthcare, like nurses and things like that. And you like, all of you guys see some, you know, incredibly life-changing things. So, you know, if there is an outlet that people can use that, you know, can put them in the best mental health possible, everybody hears, you know, that working out is good for your mental health and all that stuff. But honestly, <laughs> it is. And I have, um, you know, some clients who are like, that is what they cling to like every day because, mm -hmm. you know, work of the job is, is stressful and things like that. But, um, I, and I think like probably since you and I have been working together, like you've learned, um, some different things about yourself too, right? Like that you need Absolutely. to put yourself first, maybe more times than you do. And like you said, mm -hmm. you work some 24 hour shifts and things like that. And I mean, what happens when you work a 24 hour shift? Like at the well, end of the you, day, 
you're done. You're, you're burnt out. And I find that if I don't take my, you know, health seriously when it comes to eating and, you know, nutrition, working out, I find myself at the end of a shift, I'm so much more burnt out. I could find, be more stressed, um, you know, maybe take things uh, to heart more, you know, calls that I've been to. Um, but if I am focusing on that nutrition and um, fitness lifestyle, it's a lot more manageable. So do you have like kind of a support system for when times are really tough? Um, you know, whether it's family or do they have something set up at work or like, how do you deal with those things when they do get to you? Because like you said, you are able to separate them quite well, but what happens when the times that you can't? Mm-hmm. Um, we do have, uh, quite a few support systems, uh, at work, uh, within the RCMP, uh, which is really helpful. Um, also just talking with my coworkers, I mean, they know firsthand what it is like to go through something and being able to talk to them and decompress after, you know, a not so nice call, uh, helps a lot. Um, my parents, my dad was actually a firefighter for, uh, 30 years and my mom works in healthcare. So they both understand to a point. So it's nice being able to talk to them as well. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing is having those people around you that you you can talk to and things like that. And that, I don't know if there's anything that I've learned, like I, I'm a lot of people's like sounding boards for like when they've had tough times at work and things like that as well. And just having that support system in place. I don't know. Like I think that anybody could really use it, you know, like not just people who, you know, have tough jobs and things like that, but it's Mm -hmm. important to, I don't know. Mental health is probably the biggest thing that people don't focus on, but need to focus on. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel that as a woman though, that your job is different than like the males that you work with? I don't think it's different. Um, I think there's a lot of things that males have an advantage over in this job for sure. Uh, but there's also things that females have an advantage over. I mean, I'm a small woman and a lot of people, um, I guess underestimated my ability to go into this profession. And I even had someone ask me, Oh, what's your plan B like when this doesn't work out. So, but I'm the type of person that I'm like, Oh, if you don't think, you know, I can do it, then I'm definitely going to do it just to, to prove to you. But, um, it is, that's why I want to work, like focus on my, uh, fitness so much more, uh, is that I am at a lot of calls that sometimes I'm there by myself and things can go sideways pretty quick. So it's good to have that, you know, no, I know we have tools and everything, but it's also nice to have that physical confidence. Um, but then like, are you nervous going to calls by yourself? Uh, sometimes, uh, I just, it depends on the call. And I mean, there's been calls we've gone to that things have changed so quickly from what the original call even was. So you just have to stay on your toes and not get complacent is the biggest thing. Do you find that the respect from, you know, people in the community is different towards you than the males that you work with? Uh, sometimes it is. Yeah. Um, I find, uh, some people respond better to a female presence. I don't know if it's just more of a, you know, feminine calming presence. I, I honestly don't know. Um, but it does help sometimes just to talk and deescalate the situation just by talking to someone. 
Um, okay. Here's a, here's a, this is one that I think that probably everybody, how many people are like nervous around you? (laughs) Yeah, there, there's a lot of people that get nervous as soon as, you know, I put the uniform on. crazy because I'm still the exact same person as I am now. Right. Yeah. But I feel like it's just this reaction that people have. (laughs) People just, they're just like, am I doing something wrong? (laughs) And I find it funny because I know, you now, you know, and, and I have other friends who are police officers too. Um, but people, I just feel like they get, they seem to get nervous. Mm-hmm. They do. It's, it's funny. I mean, it's once, once you get to know someone though, and you kind of talk, talk to them more then it's better, but that initial reaction, yeah, they, it's just different. And like in your personal life, do you find that once people find out that you're a police officer, that there's a change in tone at all or? Um, yes and no. I mean, my close friends, um, who are the ones that really matter most, uh, there's no difference. I mean, they still think that I'm the same person and don't really take my job into consideration. They just, it's how it's always been. Um, but there have been people too. Um, I think the biggest thing is when people always ask you work questions, like, will I get charged if I do this? Or will I get arrested if I do this? And it's like, well, maybe you should try it and see what happens. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And people always, I imagine people always want stories too. Hey, Oh yeah, definitely. And I don't, I feel like people don't understand that that's another way that you leave work at work is by not coming home and telling stories. I mean, I could be wrong in that situation. Maybe that's how you like to, to deal with it as well, but I don't know. No, it it is nice leaving work at work and not always talking about it when, you know, you're hanging out with people and you want to just focus on life and not work because I'm there all the time as it is. So it's nice to just deconnect and or disconnect and not have to worry about that. So in the last few years, how has, how have things changed for you? Because, you know, probably when you started, um, you had this vision of what your job was going to look like. And now you've done it for a few years and, you know, and things have changed too, just like in our society and whatnot over the last few years as well. How has it changed like your job and your outlook on it and things like that? Because friends of mine in the past have said like when they started, they're like, like, I'm going to make such a big difference. And then they start and they're like, okay, this wasn't exactly what I thought the job was going to be like. Mm-hmm. Um, not saying that they aren't still trying to make a difference, but um, they felt more, you know, it just wasn't what they thought. Right. Um, I, I didn't go into it thinking that I was going to make this world of a difference for every single person that I crossed paths with. Um, I just knew that's not how the job was going to be. Um, I think there has been, you know, moments where, um, people have been affected by the work I do positively, uh, which is, really nice. Um, I don't think that things have changed a whole lot since I've started. Um, I know with society, uh, which I won't get into, um, but there has been a lot of backlash with police. Um, But where I am in such rural Saskatchewan, I found it hasn't really made a huge difference. Like you never feel nervous um, going to work, putting on your uniform, that type of a thing. I mean, unless it's a call where you need to, you know, feel nervous, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. like you 
just being a police officer yourself, you don't feel uh, nervous doing your job. No, I don't think so. So when, uh, when you're at work and do you, you, I know you said you're still the same person, but do you feel there's a bit of a switch that flips between, you know, your regular Matea and officer Matea? (laughs) Um, it's hard to say. Um, I think my friends that know me well would say there's no difference (laughs) because they know the kind of personality I have. I'm very, um, strong-willed um as a person um and I think that helped me a lot as a police officer um just you know being assertive and uh, I think it's really easy to get pushed around as a police officer if you don't take control of a situation so um I think just my personality even before starting the job has helped a lot for sure and if anybody knows what Matea looks like, she's like very sweet looking too. So I feel like (laughs) that is probably like a shock from when, you know, you meet someone that you don't know and you're working and then they Mm -hmm. realize like, oh, okay, I can't, like, this is as far as this is going to get. Like I, she is going to put me in my place. But initially I'm sure that they look at you and they're like, oh, she looks so sweet. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And there, there's been clients that I've dealt with on numerous occasions and after you know the second or third time they realize um and it's so much smoother (laughs) when you know when I've dealt with them before and they know kind of how things are gonna roll so do you find that you get um just from like just a a bad I don't want to say a bad rap but like people think that you're going to be this hard ass and that you're going to be like, there's no, you know, give and take or leeway with anything. Um, like just because you are a police officer. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of people think that, um, they don't see police officers as humans. Sometimes when we go to calls and they just think we're these robots that lay down the law and that's not at all how we are I'm not saying that there's no police officers like that out there um, because there's bad apples in every profession Um, but I think it's nice being in such a rural community where people do know you um, and they do know for the most part that police officers are good and you know we're going to give the same respect to you know if they if they're going to give us respect we'll give them respect back and um, usually most people are are pretty good to deal with. So I definitely think it's, and I've lived in a small town as well, a small community too. Um, I always thought maybe it was a little bit harder in the small communities for like, you know, cops making friends and things like that is, do you find that challenging? Do you just always go back to your old friend group? Um, are you able to make friends in the community that like new friends? Well, Right now I'm living four hours from home. Um, so it is, I don't see my friends too often. Uh, I'm lucky that all my coworkers that I work with right now are unreal. So we get along really well uh, and that helps at work and outside of work. So we spend a lot of time together. Um, I have made lots of friends in the community too, though, just involving myself. Um, I've taught dance uh, on my days off and got to know those families uh, and just living in town I mean neighbors and people know that you're the police officer pretty quick <laughs> but uh they, they they've been awesome like it's a really great community to live in okay so what would be your 
biggest, and I know we, we talked about like, you know, nutrition and exercise being a big part of, you know, helping things run smoothly in your life. But if you were to give advice to somebody who wanted to be a police officer, what would you tell them if they didn't have something in place for like exercise, nutrition, that type of a thing? And, and this is by no means like a plug to like, you should have a nutrition coach or anything like that. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, there, there has to be something. And like, you know, what, what had you done before as your like, you know, fitness and nutrition and, and whatnot, because I mean, right. you were not, in, you were never in bad shape. You never had bad nutrition, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. a new, a new police officer coming up, what would you tell them? Well, um, this is actually the first time living alone. So it's, I've had to make meals by myself and not that I don't know how to cook, but it's just different. Right. Um, so I would say meal prepping as a police officer, it's huge because even if you're on days off and there's a big emergency, the chances of you getting called into work is high and you will. So having, you know, meal prepping, having things in place, just having even quick options uh, in the fridge to go protein bars, you know, things to have in your bag at work, because you're not always going to be in the office and with a lunch break, you could be busy for your whole entire shift. Um, So that's the biggest thing. Um, Also just having a workout plan. Like you don't even need to hire somebody if you feel comfortable, you know, making up your own workout plan, but just to have that so you, you, you can go to the gym and know what you're going to be doing instead of, well, I'm not going to go to the gym because I don't really know what workout I feel like doing. And to like a lot of times you might, like you said, get called in, you're tired, you know, you don't feel like doing something or you don't have food in the fridge. And I know like we talked about that before, like sometimes <laughs> you'd had a long shift and maybe there wasn't food at home and things like that. And you were like, wow, yeah, like I'm pretty tired and pretty hungry and I didn't have any food at home or things like that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, keeping food prepped, kind of having, and it doesn't even have to be like crazy big long workouts either, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I found, again, going back to your program, um, your workouts are awesome because they're max 20, 30 minutes for the most part, just a quick workout. If you're exhausted at the end of the shift, you know, you can still go and power through a workout and then you're good to go. I like when you see other people, um, who've been in the industry for a really long time, do we call it the industry? Is it still the industry when we're referring to other police officers? Um, can be whatever you want to call it. (laughs) (laughs) And you see, you know, maybe that their, um, physical like health has declined. Do you feel like, do you think that's more like, is it related to mental health and, um, the fact that it's shift work because shift work is really, really, really hard on people. And I don't think a lot of people understand, um, how much it actually affects, you know, things like hunger hormones and motivation and things, you know, it, there's a lot more to it than I think a lot of people know. What do you think has happened for those people to, because they had to pass a physical test. Do you guys ever have to do it again? We don't. Oh, you don't actually. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I think that's one thing, um, is that it's not mandatory and it's so easy and I've done it. I mean, I keep 
hiring you back to get back on track is it's so easy to fall off and just get off track with, with nutrition and fitness and let the job kind of take over. And it is very mentally challenging. And there are a lot of, um, you know, mental health concerns with this job that people need to stay on top of. And I don't think it's talked about, um, too, like too often, um, in our profession, but, um, yeah, I think it's just the stress of the job falling out of that habit and like it's you hard guys, to get back into. You sit in your car a lot too some days, right? There are times yeah. where, you know, and that is also so hard on your body. I actually have an, another client and um, when COVID happened, she was just in her car so much because they weren't really allowed to be in the in their station. Do I call it a station? Um, (laughs) so she was just in her car all day long and it wrecked her back, like completely like took her back out. And she was out for like weeks trying to rehab it from all the sitting and, um, Mm -hmm. other friends who like the weight of your belt and whatnot, uh, affects your posture and, like ergon when I say ergonomic setup it sounds super lame but people don't understand how bad that can end up hurting your back so like you're young still how do you feel that that's going for you well I mean I've had numerous conversations with you um when I was doing your programs asking what to do for back pain <laughs> um, because the belt and the vest are heavy and I think a lot of people think being a police officer is is a very active job and it's not, I mean, you do have your, your one call you go to that might be an hour, uh, but then you're spending the rest of your time doing up paperwork for that file, or you are in your car patrolling. So it's not as active as people think it is. And, um, yeah, it's, it's It's, hard on the body. (laughs) It's very hard on the body. And I think that that all also kind of maybe plays a role in, you know, people's motivation to work out and things like that, because, it will one and it's exhausting, but also if it hurts, like how can you expect to get up and try to do something physical? And like, that's not me saying like, you should definitely work out and compromise your back. No, that we modified things right when your back was b- bothering you. Um, mm-hmm. I also happen to have a bad back probably also due to a poor ergonomic setup on my couch. (laughs) Let's be real about that. That's definitely something I could fix, something that you can't. But, you know, I believe that that plays a big role. The position that you're sitting in for the majority of your day, if it's not a good one, it's probably not good on your joints and things like that. But we also modify things. We also, like I've, my number one thing that I tell people is keeping like blood flow going like moving to the area. So whether that's like walking a lot or, you know, something doing something that like elevates your heart rate that can get blood flow moving. And then like your back doesn't stiffen up as bad and things like that until you can get it, you know, feeling a little bit back to normal. But I don't know, like you, you, you never stopped working out when your back was hurting. You just modified things, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think it would have been a lot harder to get back into working out if I just stopped cold turkey um, because of, you know, back pain, because chances are there's going to be more pain down the road. And then if I just never work out, that's not really helping the situation. Yeah. And what I think people don't understand too, is that by doing modified type workouts, you can actually help, you know, start to fix what the issue is. And if you have to go back and sit in your car and, and it's your belt and 
you know, sitting in the car all day that is bothering it, well, it's going to continue to like take it back to, you know, it being in an injured state again. So you have to do something that makes it feel better. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes it's like for myself personally, I can't speak on behalf of everyone else, but I have a really bad core and I don't like doing core exercises at all. Um, But if my back continues hurting, I'm like, well, maybe I should probably, you know, do some core exercises and strengthen other parts of my body because that's probably what's causing the injury in the first place. There's like this sports doctor. Um, is it Stu McGill? I, you know, and I, I've, I've tried to talk about him on other podcasts and I really should look up his name <laughs> because I'm like, I think this is who it is, but he specializes in like back issues in people as well. Um, yeah. And he says like the number one thing is like weak cores and that, you know, we don't do enough, um, core stabilizing, um, work in, and it's so true. Like I also have a bad back and I'm also like, not that good at planking, not a shock. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I feel like even stuff like that would, you know, definitely benefit what we're trying to work at here. But I don't know, like, what do you think that the biggest misconception about your job is? Hmm. That's a good question. I never really thought of that before. Um, I think I'd, I would go back to the fact that people think that cops aren't human. That's probably the biggest misconception. Um, and they don't really see that, you know, we have friends and family to go home to at the end of the day. Um, just like everybody else. Uh, and we're just here to do our job. And p- some people just don't realize that. I mean, how many times has somebody said something to you that was absolutely horrible? Oh, often, <laughs> often. We actually make jokes about it at work because there's, you know, probably every single name in the book you can think of is what I've been called. Um, we just laugh it off, um, afterwards. But I mean, again, I don't take what they say personally. Usually they're under the influence of something at the time and they don't mean it. I mean, they look, they're insulting the uniform. That's what it is. Like there's nothing personal between me and whoever I'm dealing with. And I think that if you were to take every single time that somebody said a terrible thing to you to heart, like you, this would be a very short-lived career. Oh yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to work right now if I took everything to heart. Do you find that shift work affects, um, relationships and, and things like that, that you have with people? Um, I would say no, not really. Um, it's harder to, you know, to communicate with people if you're always working nights. I mean, I'm on a stretch of seven nights right now. Um, so, I'm sleeping most of the day and I'm working at night when everybody's sleeping. So the communication is a little harder, but other than that, I don't think that there's really much of a difference with shift work. And this is something that I've really noticed, um, like with my husband, Curtis, because he'll work seven nights as well. And, uh, that first day when he's switching back to a regular day shift, like his brain is scrambled. Do you find <laughs> that? He's oh, definitely. Like, he's gonna be like, "Hey," but he knows it's true too. Like he, it, like it's tough to think. It's hard to when you come off of a stretch of nights. Um, do you get some time off before you have to go onto another shift? A uh, few days. 
a couple days. <laughs> okay. So you get a couple. Yeah. It takes yeah. longer than a couple to reset though. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, he'll be, he'll be like probably three days for sure. Um, until he can get back. And that's only because he's practiced it. Like when we travel overseas and then we come home and I'm trying to switch back over, he makes fun of me because I'm not used to it. And it takes me much longer to do it than he does. Um, and it's, I like, it's so, it's so bad that you guys have to do it like on such a frequent basis, but Mm -hmm. how many night shifts do you work in a month? Um, I usually work, uh, well, our rotation is six weeks. So usually there's two weeks of nights, uh, within that six week rotation. Yeah, that's a lot. And this is for anybody who's working nights, like, right. Curtis works in the oil industry. So it's just, it's really hard on your body and, um, and what other people don't realize is when you're switching your shifts like that, um, you get super inflamed um, you, your motivation level goes down. You, you might not even like that. Uh, we talked about hunger cues being, you know, messed up because of like your body's going to signal to you that you're hungry, even maybe when you're not and things like that. Um, but yeah, the biggest thing that people don't understand is like the change that their physical body will make just from being sleep deprived. And I know that you have gone through, like, you know, exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. What, it, what do you like your physical body? What happens when you're switching from shifts? Um, like you said, I do get very inflamed. Um, I retain water a lot, uh, easier. So I I'll bloat too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think that I'm not making progress. Uh, and I'm like, what happened? Like, I just, you know, it was different like two days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I just tell myself that it's not, you know, it's not a lack of progress. It's just switching from shifts. Yeah. And so many people don't understand that that happens to their body. And again, they think that whatever's happening means that they're at a plateau or something like that. And it really messes with your head when it, you know, you have a goal or something like that. Um, Curtis lives with me and he like, like he'll, he'll, he'll be like, okay, I'm three pounds heavier, but I'm coming off of nights. Like he now knows to say like, you know, I'm switching from, you know, mm-hmm. nice todays and it's really messed up with my central nervous system and things like that. And people don't understand that that's a real thing. And I, for people who don't work shift work, if you're a bad sleeper, it's the same thing. Like if you're not getting enough sleep, uh, it's your body will be inflamed and you will also think that you're not making progress too. Also your digestion will be off. (laughs) I know we didn't, didn't come on here to talk about digestion, but your digestion will be (laughs) off too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I have some coworkers that cannot sleep at all. Uh, and it affects them like in more ways than one. I'm lucky. I sleep like a baby on nights. I just go home and whenever I'm in bed, I'm just, I pass out. So I'm lucky in that aspect, but I know that there's a lot of people that work shift work that just can't do it. Like they just can't get used to, to sleeping in the day. So are you nervous though, that that's going to change after you are in like doing what you're doing for, you know, a few more years? It might. Uh, I'll deal with it if it if the time comes. But right now, I'm just I'm lucky that everything's running smoothly. Okay, this is a question for your future self. Like, do you think that if you want to have a family, that it will be harder being in the profession that you're in? 
I think it would, uh, definitely. Um, I can't say for sure, you know, how it would be, but you just see a lot of things, all like the worst things that most people don't ever see in their lifetime, you see on a day-to-day basis. And to have a family or to bring kids into the world, you're, that's constantly in the back of your mind. Like, you know what's out there. Um, I think you shouldn't go into, you know, paranoid mode either. I'm sure you, you know, you have clients um, who have, you know, spouses of a police officer, or they are a police officer and they have kids. Um, I don't think you should let it affect you. Uh, you're still raising a child, you know, I think you kind of have to put what you see every day on the back burner and not let it get in your way of, of raising kids. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because, um, the other people that I do work with that are like in emergency services, they are really good also about separating. And it, that's just coincidence that that's been the people that I've worked with so far. But, um, I do have some other friends who that was one of their biggest concerns is that, you know, when they had a kid that they weren't going to be able, like when, if they came up to an accident or something like that, that had children in it, that they weren't going to be able to separate themselves from it. And, um, they could before. So yeah, I just remember them talking about that. And I think that's, you know, that was definitely not anything that I thought would change in them, but, also changes in hormones and things like that will happen too. And mm-hmm. it's just a, uh, a really crazy part of your job that, yeah, like you said, if you can't separate it, then how do you, how do you go through that every day? Like you would live in fear of having to respond to a call with an accident in it or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I've already had lots of calls involving children that it's just been, I I don't want to say another call, but for me, I don't have that connection at home with children um, and that I'd be able to respond to it. But I know I have coworkers that do have kids at home um, and that it would be, you know, a little different for them, even though if they're able to separate themselves really well, um, I think there is still that little piece in the back of their mind that, you know, they kind of connect it with their own children. So for sure. And there's also like, just kind of while we're talking about the connection there, I think sometimes people are like, okay, I do want to take control of my health and fitness, but there's something holding me back and I can't, I don't know why I can't fully commit to it. And sometimes I think that people that work in jobs that are high stress like that, that there's some sort of like, there's a connection happening in their job and they can't, they don't feel like they have that um, holding them back, but it's maybe the one thing that's causing them not to be able to, you know, make a lifestyle change like that. And they don't even realize how much it's affecting them. Mm-hmm. I did a podcast with, um, her name is Mel and she does subconscious imprinting and she actually like helps people like dig into maybe whatever that, um, whatever the one thing is kind of that they might not even realize is holding them back because I think this goes for everybody because everyone's like, yes, I want to make a change to my health. I'm going to sign up and do your program. And then they're like, okay, well, I, I don't know why I couldn't, I couldn't follow the recommendations or I don't know why I couldn't, you know, connect, um, what you were telling me to do with what I was actually doing. 
And Mm -hmm. I think that in high stress jobs, there can be something that is holding you back from what you want to do that's totally unrelated to your work and things like that. And you don't even realize how much it's weighing on you. Yeah, I I agree 100%. I mean, there's even some calls that that stick out in the back of my mind that I don't think about every day, but I know that subconsciously I can still, um, you know, I, I think about it every so often and it's still just kind of a part of me. Now. Yeah. And like you said, it, it could pop out, up out of the blue too. And just something that you think that you've done a really good job of. Do we use the word compartmentalize or is that if you compartmentalize something, is that like you've stuffed it away in a box and then it's going to pop back out lately or later? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like you think that you've appropriately dealt with it, but it creeps up every once in a while. And even though you're really good at handling your feelings and things like that, that's still that same tell that maybe things aren't, you know, as Mm -hmm. smooth with it as you might have thought. Yeah. And I'm yeah, sure there's definitely. people that you work with that think about things all the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's true. And that's an, another reason why talking about things is so important. I mean, I've talked to coworkers that have brought, you know, things up that we've dealt with a year or two ago. Um, and they'll just, they're like, I've been thinking about this and we talk about it and it does help a lot just getting it out there and getting it off your chest. Do you, do you know what path to take? Um, if you are starting to experience signs of any PTSD, do you even know what that would feel like if something like that were to come up and you needed to make, um, a step in, you know, reaching out to somebody? It's hard to say because I don't know how that would feel. And I think a lot of people struggle with that too. Um, it's way better now, um, within, um, the organization of all police officers. Um, but I know in the past, uh, it was very, I guess, not accepted to talk about your feelings and everyone's that macho man that, you know, just deals with work and then that's that. Um, but that obviously hasn't helped at all. Um, and that's why, you know, over the past, even few years, um, they've came out with so many more support systems and things to talk about it and, you know, to kind of stop it and prevent it before it's too late. Yeah. Um, but that's a huge thing. And I think more and more of that is coming out in like the media and things like that, that, and maybe that helps people like connect with you guys and, and humanize like your, your job too, because I don't think they realize how hard that it would be to see the things that you see in a day. It's not that you just go and you know, nail people for speeding or drunk driving and things like that. You know, mm-hmm. that's what a lot of people think. And yeah. they forget about all the crazy things and people that you guys deal with in your day. And then what How? What does that look like afterwards? And how do you deal with that later? Mm-hmm, definitely. I mean, there's been some shifts where we've seen some really bad things and then we've got a call to something super minor, you know, that doesn't even necessarily need police. And we have people yelling at us saying like, Oh, don't you guys have anything better to do? And it's like, man, if you knew (laughs) what we were just dealing with, but they don't, you know, and you can't really fault people for that because most of the general public doesn't even understand what kind of things that we see on a, on a daily basis. Yeah, for sure. 
And I think that was why, you know, I kind of wanted to sit down and, and chat today because I don't know, like I have, like I said, I have a lot of clients and friends and, you know, that do the job that you do. And some people just kind of forget that they're people too. And if somebody like, and it's so funny because somebody said something mean to me on the internet, like the people who follow me, they're just like, how dare they? Like, I cannot believe that's going <laughs> to, that, that happened to you. They're like, I'm going to stand up for you on the internet. <laughs> Whereas you deal with it every single day. And you're like, I'm fine. It's all right, you guys. <laughs> yeah, for me, someone's like, they said your eyebrows were bad. How rude. Like, I, like I'm standing up. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I just, you know, different things that we all deal with, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, I think that's a great place to leave it. Thank you so much for coming on today and sitting yeah, down and chatting me. with me. Yeah, we don't we don't very often get to sit down and like kind of talk in real life like we are today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really nice. Okay, well, yeah, thanks again. And you know what? Maybe we could do this again. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love that. Head over to my Instagram page at sweat underscore effect for all of my insights, experiences, and daily doses of goodness. Until next time, keep on having fun and keeping fit.